Generally Speaking About the Church, episode number 21. This program is a production of the Generally Speaking Podcast Network. You'll find this and other podcasts on our website at gspn.tv. Thanks for listening. everybody and welcome back to Generally Speaking About the Church. My name is Cliff Ravenscraft and I want to thank you for coming back for yet another episode uh, in this series that I'm currently producing for you guys for your listening pleasure. Actually, I have very little to do with this and I, I don't really make it a habit of just basically taking sermons from our church and throwing them in their entirety into this podcast feed and saying, hey, here's another podcast episode. Uh, I would think that that would be uh, basically cheating. But yet, this current series, in fact, if, if you're just tuning in, this is part three of a sermon series that's uh, recently taken place at our church over at Watermark Community Church here in northern Kentucky. You can check our website out at watermarkcc.net. Anyway, uh, this most recent sermon series is called Religion Bites, and that's B-Y-T-E-S. It's a little play on words, but yet the whole message is about the fact that religion really does bite. Uh, And I'm not going to really set this up. I've done this set up already twice in this series, and if you've not already heard part one and part two, I really want to encourage you to go back into the feed and dig out those past two episodes before you listen to this because I really think it's beneficial. Uh, whether you're a Christian or a non-Christian, I think that everybody would get something out of this. I know that uh, so many of you have already written in and and have eagerly anticipated the release of this third and final portion of this series of sermons. So if you want to go and check out the prior two episodes, all you have to do is go to gspn.tv and click on the link for About the Church, and you will see the other two episodes uh, just prior to this one. With that, I'm going to go ahead and turn it over to Pastor Chad and let you hear him speak about Religion Bites, part three, and it's called What Thrives. As a kid growing up, uh, my dad owned and operated a restaurant known as Bonanza Steakhouse, okay? Now, they don't really exist much anymore, but they were like the early front runner of like Ponderosa, Ryan's, Golden Corral. They drove like the early concept, which we know now today is like the all-you-can-eat food bar, uh, hence Exhibit A, okay? (laughs) And uh, when I was a kid, I loved going to, to see him at work. I loved it. Why? Because he was the boss, he was, he was the head honcho, he was the big wig. And when I walked in there as the son of the boss, of the guy in charge, I had like an all access pass to anywhere I wanted to go in that place. I could just walk up and get a drink out of the, the uh, fountain drink machine anytime, no big deal, he was gonna say anything. I, I could run around the salad bar, I could slide through the line where the guys were grilling steaks and there's fire up in there, I could go back and slide through the kitchen, throw toilet paper in the stock room, all that kind of stuff, hide in the bathroom and eat a piece of cheesecake, you know, whatever I wanted to do. Why? Because I was the son of the boss. 
But my favorite place that I loved to go in that restaurant was in the back of the, of the restaurant where, as an eight-year-old, this door just seemed humongous. And I remember standing looking up at it. It had this big sign across the front of it that said, employees only. Employees only. And I would stand there, and before I would do anything else, I would look around both ways to make sure that people were watching. <laughs> I wanted people watching because I knew they were thinking, oh, eight-year-old, he, I mean, he's not supposed to be in here. He's sure an employer. He's a kid. What's he think? What's he doing? And that's what I wanted. And as soon as I knew I had a little audience, I would kick open that door and I would go into the employees-only section. Why? Because I could. Because I could. My dog licks his hind end. Why? Because he can. You know? Why could I do that? Because my dad was the boss. I was the son of the boss. Now, and hanging out there as a kid in the summers and sometimes on the weekends, my dad would give us some different jobs and responsibilities. And one day he said, Chad, I got a job for you here. I got, a, I got an opportunity. How would you like to do this? How would you like to be a ketchup bottle filler-upper? And I was like, awesome, awesome. You know, as an eight-year-old, that sounds awesome. You know, and now if, you, if you're new to the steakhouse arena, very critical job in the restaurant, okay? There's lots of bottles someone must fill them, okay? And so I was up for this. And a very intense, delicate process. You would go around first and gather all the ketchup bottles off the table, half full, three-fourths of the way full, and you'd get a cart with fresh Heinz 57 glass bottles, and you'd carefully, one by one, top off each bottle. Very involved, delicate process. And uh, I don't mean to, to boast, but I was freaking good at it. I mean, I really was. I mean, I really think today that I might be the best all-time ketchup bottle filler-upper ever in the history of the restaurant business, okay? I took this job very seriously. I was very passionate until one day something kind of weird happened. I was back in the kitchen hanging out. I always loved to, like, set up employees. I tried to get them to talk really mean about my dad who didn't know who I was, and I'd be like, oh, yeah, that's my dad, you know? And uh, I was back there by, the, by this little clock I had seen in the kitchen, and I saw people walk over with these, like, rectangular-looking manila cards, and they'd kink and put it like in a little slot. I was like, what is that? My clock at home doesn't have that. What is that? And somebody introduced me to the concept of a time card. And all of a sudden I realized these other people were getting paid. And so in my apprentice entrepreneurial spirit, I went to my dad and I said, Dad, I'm gonna throw out a thought to you here. What if you make me an employee of Bonanza Steakhouse, okay? And the weird thing was, he did. He did. Now, looking back, I know that I wasn't an official employee. I wasn't on the payroll because that would be illegal. That would be all kinds of problems. Maybe, oh, maybe that's why my dad's not in the restaurant business. I'm just kidding. You know, he was totally straight, total integrity. But uh, I realized now he was probably paying me out of his pocket or something. But so I was now an official employee of Bonanza Steakhouse. The weird thing was as soon as that happened, something changed. That opportunity that I had to be the ketchup bottle filler-upper, that thing that I looked forward to, that was fun, I had a good time doing, all of a sudden became something I began to dread. It was surrounded by drudgery. Why? Because now it was a job. I had to do it, and it sucked. I hated it. I didn't want to do it. And then I started kind of looking around, and I started watching the other ketchup bottle filler-uppers in the restaurant and getting kind of cynical because they weren't doing it the way I did it. You know, they were sloppy, they, they didn't take their time, they weren't passionate, they just kind of slopped through it, kind of half ate it, you know, and I was like, this isn't right, kind of bothered me. I realized that some of them were probably getting paid more than I was when I would take a sneak peek at their paychecks on Fridays, and it made me kind of angry, it bothered me. It kind of changed my dynamics and my relationship with my dad a little bit, because I'd gone from simply being the son of the boss to being now an employee of Bonanza Steakhouse, and it changed everything. Looking back, though, my dad's perspective didn't change at all. To him, I was still his son, 
But in my mind, I was no longer his son, I was his employee. It changed everything for a while. And I tell you that story because I think it helps illustrate perfectly a group of people like you and I we're gonna look at this morning in the Bible who were just like I was. At one time, when it came to God in their life, it was surrounded with joy, it was fresh, it was fun, there was freedom. And somewhere along the way, their life with God became dreadful, surrounded with drudgery, routine, legalism. And we're going to look at these folks today in the New Testament, a book of Galatians chapter 4, a chapter I'd encourage you to read this week and unpack even further on your own. But in it, we meet a group of these Galatian believers. And the Apostle Paul came one day and he had some great news for him. He said, guys, here's the good news. You no longer get to God and know God by following all the rules and the laws and the codes and the ups and downs of religion. Good news for you. You've been set free now through Jesus Christ. You've been freed from the law. And now, here's how you do life with God. You simply do it through a relationship with his son, Jesus Christ. It's no longer about the rule book. Good news. And for a while, those people lived in the joy of that and being freed up of just knowing Christ. But then somewhere along the way, something happened. This group of, of Judaizers came in behind them and said, no, no, uh-uh, that's not right, uh-uh. Nope, if you're gonna be right with God, you gotta follow the rules. You gotta be religious. You gotta do the code, you gotta do the dance. And they bought into it over time. And something really scary happened. They stepped out of the freedom of that relationship with Christ and they took a swan dive back into the bondage of religion. They, they, they were sons who started to act like slaves. And there's some things in this chapter we really need to get our arms around this morning. And the first thing is the thing we've been kind of learning throughout the Bible these last few weeks. The first thing is this, it's the truth that according to the Bible, religion makes you a slave. It's just no secret. Religion makes you a slave. Now as I said last week, I'm not screaming religion is bad, it's awful, okay? Religion is not a bad thing as I said when it equips you in your relationship with God, when maybe God uses it to help you find God or to stay on that journey, but it becomes a dreadful, life-sucking thing when it becomes the goal when it becomes the point in your life, when it's the end with all, it's what we're aiming for to be religious. It makes you a slave. It brings you into bondage. In fact, look here with me in verse three of Galatians four. Here's what the Bible says. I'm gonna ask you to be a little interactive with me this morning, okay? So when I, when I give you the prompting, don't go, okay, just, just, just jump in, all right? So we don't have one of those crickets moments, as my friend Dom says in our, as I'm leading my small group on Tuesday mornings, cricket moment, yeah, here we go, okay? Look at verse three. We were in what? Slavery under the basic principles of the world. Okay, it's saying we are in bondage under the basic principles. Substitute their religion, the laws, the rules. Over in Colossians 2.8, Paul says this, a very, very similar verse. He said, see to it that no one takes you what? Captive, okay? Through the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. He's saying, don't be taken captive. Don't let somebody make you a slave, bring you into a bondage with the rules and the laws and the ups and downs and the codes of religion. Paul's saying, in other words, you're gonna be one of two things. You're either gonna be a child of God through a relationship with Jesus Christ, or you're gonna be a slave living in bondage to the basic principles of this world. You're gonna be a slave to religion. 
And I want us to kind of right now kind of break this down. I'm going to look at just a few what I call religious principles that are very alive and well today in our society. You'll hear churches shouting these things. You'll hear, quote, religious people shouting these things. And they'll tell you you've got to do these things in order to please God. I call them lies that we tend to believe and, and base our life on. Here's the first one. There's the lie that if you're going to please God, I've got to do more. Have I done enough? Probably not. No. So I, I need to pray more I need to go to church more. I need to serve more. I need to show up more. I've probably not done enough, so I better do more, you know? Then there's those who feel like, I have to do this. I have to go to church. I have to give 10% of my income. I have to wear big hair and carry a 19-pound Bible, this big zipper that goes all the way around. I have to do all these different kind of things. Or the flip side of that, it would be people who say, I can't do that. Well, I can't go to that show. I can't listen to that kind of music. I can't wear lipstick because that's a devil's color. You know, I can't do all these things. Why? Because I, because I gotta follow the rules. I, I got like 9,743 things. And I gotta nail all of them or I'm not good enough to be in the presence of God and have a relationship with God. Paul came along and said, guess what? You don't have to do that anymore. Quit stressing out over trying to measure up. Paul's saying, remember the cross where Jesus died? <laughs> he measured up there. And if you have a personal relationship with him because he measured up, you've measured up. He met every requirement that God would ever have of you. And because he met the requirements, you meet the requirements. You get all his grades. It's like getting a wire transfer, as I said last week, to your account. There's nothing else you need to do or that you can do because it's already been done. Jesus purchased you to set you free from the law, to free you from all the rule following. Now you just know him by faith simply through having a relationship with him. You move from a religion to a relationship. Now, these Galatian believers, one of the big issues here in wanting to be, to be Christians, the, the Judaizers came along and said, hey, you Gentiles, you wanna be Christians? Is that what you want? Well, here's the deal. If you're gonna be Christian, the first thing you do is you need to become more Jewish. All of a sudden, they got their little set of rules that have nothing to do with the Bible, but they're saying, if you're gonna be right with God, you're gonna be a Christian, bing, 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 and boom. A lot of churches still do it today. If you're gonna come in here and know the Lord, you better not have anything on your body pierced, I better not smell smoke on you, you know, boom, 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 boom. Same thing they're doing here. And they're saying, if you wanna be a Christian, you gotta be more Jewish. And if you're gonna be more Jewish, you all need to be circumcised. Now, That'll grow a church. You know? <laughs> hey, if you're going to come here, cut it off, all right? Hey, man, 1,000 people last week. Yeah, awesome. But they said, hey, you know, you, you, you got you to cut it off. Cut away the flesh, which would be less fleshly. If you're going to be a Christian, you got to be circumcised. Now, some of us, it's a little early, and we're squirming a little bit. As a guy, I feel kind of uncomfortable even thinking about it. So let me tell a story to kind of soften us a little bit here. There's two boys, two, two 12-year-old boys one day, they're, they're talking to each other, and the kid goes to his friend, he said, you're not gonna believe this. I turned 12 yesterday. You know, my parents told me on my birthday, they've decided to have me circumcised. Happy birthday to, okay, well, isn't that great? And his friend said, oh, dude, get out of here. Oh, man, dude, you're in bad shape. And he's like, what, what? Do you, do you know much about it? He said, oh, yeah, worst thing ever happened to me. He said, really, tell me about it. He said, had it done when I was eight days old. I said, are you serious? He said, yeah, worst thing ever. Couldn't walk for a year. <laughs> now, <laughs> for those of you who are not getting that, if the person next to you is a good artist, draw them a picture. 
if you're a bad artist, don't, because it's just going to go further south from your picture. So let's just move on. But guys, here, here's what Paul's saying here. Paul's saying to be right with God is not Jesus plus circumcision. It's not Jesus plus four Bible studies a week. It's not Jesus plus dressing accordingly for worship. It's not Jesus plus never using a foul word the rest of my life. It's not Jesus plus I never drink a beer and I don't stay in the same room with people who do. It's not Jesus plus, it's Jesus plus nothing. It's Jesus plus nothing. That's what it is, that's what he's saying. It's Jesus plus nothing. Yet a lot of churches today and a lot of religious people are saying it's Jesus plus a whole lot of other things. <laughs> Paul's saying no, it's Jesus plus nothing. Here's the second thing. Relationship, though, makes you a son of God. Okay? Now, some of you are going, wow, it makes you the son of God? No, that's Jesus. Okay, so don't, don't jump ahead. That, that's Jesus, okay? Uh, some of you women are going, well, I guess that leaves us out. No, it doesn't. If you read on in Galatians, there's a wonderful verse that says very clearly, it says, in Christ there is neither male nor female. There's neither Jew nor Gentile. See, this whole thing, it's, it's not a race or gender thing. It's about your position in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we can be a son and a daughter of God. Look at, look, look at what verse four and five says. It says, but when the time had finally come, God sent his son, capital S, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive the full rights of what? Sons. We were redeemed so that we might be sons. Now, what does that word redeemed mean? You hear these pastors all the time spit and hyperventilate and get all excited. I've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. I've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Yes, yes, redeemed. What does that mean, though? I don't think we know. I don't think we know. I really don't think we know. So if we want to know, let's go back to the Greek, okay, that the original language that the New Testament was written in, okay, and let's see what it really means. And if you go back to the Greek, that word literally means to purchase, to set free. To purchase something, to set it free. That is what Jesus Christ did on the cross for you and for me. And thank God he did. The Bible says without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. We are screwed if Jesus didn't do that. Our only destination is hell and no hope. Thank God he did that. And what he did on the cross is he purchased you and I out of slavery into freedom through relationship with Jesus Christ. Pretty awesome. Picture yourself back in the days when it's hard to even imagine that slavery was ever even permissible, that, people didn't, that not everybody didn't frown upon that. But picture yourself being a slave at one time, a couple hundred years ago, and somebody comes and says, okay, you've been bought, get your things. And you're thinking to yourself, I wonder where I'm going now. Working for pennies. Can't take care of my family. I just wish my life went in. This is not living. And you go out to meet your new master. And he says, hey, I'm so-and-so. I don't want you. I, I, just, I just wanted to buy your freedom. It, it pained me to see the way you were living. You're free. I don't want you to come do anything for me. You don't work for me. You're free. Th that's what Jesus did. He, he purchased our freedom to, so we wouldn't have to live like that. We have to be chained to the laws that our, that our eternity wouldn't hang in the balance. You know, we celebrate today and some of you, like Annie and others, have sons and daughters right now sacrificing their life overseas for our country. Some of you are veterans who did the same thing and you lost friends who, over the years, they gave their life for the freedom of this country. Jesus was the first person to ever do that. <laughs> 
He sacrificed his life for our freedom. And it came at a huge price. And when you get your arms around what he really did for you, it'll blow your doors off. When you begin to embrace this truth that you, because of that, have been adopted into the family of God, and because of that, you're now a son and a daughter of the living God, it'll change everything. You've been adopted. Adoption is the coolest thing in the world, okay? Most of you know, we have adopted both of our boys. If you told me today that we could have our own, I don't know that I'd want to, because there's just something so special about adopting a child. As Casey and Cameron grow, I look forward to sitting down with them and saying, guys, let me tell you why this is so special. Let me tell you what all my mom, what you and me and your mom did. We, first of all, we spent thousands of dollars before you even came out of the womb, not even knowing if we'd get to bring you home or not. It was worth that to us. We made over 25 round-trip drives to Owensboro, Kentucky for a 15-minute doctor's appointment with your birth mother. We went through legal things and filled out tons of stupid paperwork and profiles. We would have done anything because we wanted you. We chose you. We could easily settle out, screw it, I don't want kids, let's just not mess with this, let's live a life with no kids and be selfish and not have to do anything and go to movies on Wednesday night at 10 o'clock and it would be awesome. No, we didn't do that because we wanted you. We chose you and we would go through anything to have you and that's what God did. God sent his son, the only one who was innocent, to die for those of us who were all guilty. He would have gone to any length so that we could be purchased and be set free. And that's what he did with Jesus. Unfortunately, there's many of you in this room who at some point in your journey, you've had a spiritual experience with God. You've been born into the family of God. You've been, become a child of God. And yet this very moment, you are living like a slave. You don't live like a son or daughter. You live like a slave. Now let me back up here and make sure people understand here. What does it mean to be born into the family of God, to be a child of God? Here's what I didn't say it means. It doesn't mean you've been baptized it doesn't mean you've participated in Holy Communion, okay? It doesn't mean you grew up going to church and you attend church. It doesn't mean you're a good person. It means that somewhere in your journey there is a defining moment you can look back and say, that is when I said yes to God. I said, Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God. I believe you died for my sins. And I want to invite you into my life now to come up and take residence here. I want everything leading up to this, that old life is gone. You remove it forever, you erase it. And from this day forward, I'm like a spiritual baby in pampers. Brand new life, learning to talk differently, walk differently, live differently. But the difference is you're the manager now. You're leading this whole thing called my life. You're calling the shots. And I live, everything bends to your ways and your teachings. And it changes my life here on earth. And I live with the hope of eternity for when I die. Some of you have made that decision in your past. And yet today, this very moment, on April 29, 2007, you're living like a total slave. You're living like a slave. And there's a big difference between a slave and a son. And I want to look for a moment at a few of these differences. The slave is driven by duty, by obligation. I have to do this. I must perform. The son, though, is driven by devotion, by love, by opportunity. He's driven out of just a response of what all God has done for him, and that changes everything. Every now and then I find myself at like a pastor's conference, and I'll be talking with guys from around the country who are, have also started or planted new churches, and they'll go, hey, where's your church? And I'll say, oh, we planted a church in Kentucky. Oh, man, you're lucky. I mean, that must be so much easier. I mean, you're right there on the fringe of the Bible Belt. Everybody loves and believes in God. Good for you. And I want to go, no, actually, it's just the opposite. We're no different than you guys. We rank off the charts in teenage pregnancy. 
We got people committing suicide left and right. Marriages are failing crazy like never before. We're, we're just like you. And I'm like, if we're such a Christian state or area, why are the results so horrible? You know? Let me tell you why. Because we're, for the most part, a religious state. We're, for the most part, a religious people. But we're not a relational state. And when it comes to God, we're not a relational people. We're just religious and we do Christianity just out of duty, obligation, not out of devotion. And here's what happens. Most of you all have been immunized at one point or you're taking your kids for immunizations. When you take them to the doctor, what, what happens? Okay? When you get immunized, you get just enough of the disease so that you don't get the whole thing, right? Okay. What, I've, what I would say this morning, I argue that a lot of people have been inoculated against Christianity. They've gotten just enough of it and just enough of God to look the part, do the dance, blend in, know the lingo, but they don't have the whole thing. Just enough to do the church talk, fool some people, maybe even fool themselves, but they've not begun to submit fully their heart to the leadership and the leading of Jesus Christ. So what happens is you've got a host of good people who go to church, check the box. Put a few bucks in the offering, check the box. Attend a, a biblical event, check the box. Dress appropriately for the service, check the box. Refrain from the wrong language that godly people should use, check the box. I don't have any tattoos or piercings or run with people that do, check the box. I did something really nice for someone which makes me a good person, which makes me a Christian, check the box. That is not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches something totally different. And it's not that we do God out of duty. We do it out of utter devotion. And when you see what God has done for you through Jesus Christ, it will blow your doors off when you really get it. See, for those of you who are new to all this, Adam and Eve came on the scene in the beginning, and they blew it. And from that point, the world was tainted with sin. It was an imperfect world. So the problem is we're an imperfect people trying to one day be in the presence of a perfect God living in a perfect heaven. It is not possible on our own. God saw that at that point the only destination for us was hell and he, he couldn't stand that outcome. So he said, I'm gonna do something about it. I'm gonna send Jesus to die this death so those people can get to me and get to this place. And the only he can do it is to get through who's perfect and that's my son Jesus. So I want you to picture, there's this, we've said this before, there's this big chasm, this big grand canyon. You got God on one side, can you got us on the other. I don't care how great of an athlete you are, how skinny you are, whatever. If you've been in the Olympics, you're not gonna clear that kind of a jump. With all your good deeds and being religious, you're gonna fall every time. And so Jesus with the cross, he bridged the gap. His life became a bridge, and through him, we can get to Jesus and be saved. And when you really get that, that that's what's been done for you, even though you don't deserve it, you will be overcome oozing with joy and gratitude and saying, God, here's my whole heart. God, here's my whole life. And you'll be driven by devotion and not duty. John 14, 15 says, if you love me, you'll obey what I command. The slave is driven by duty. The son is driven by devotion. Second thing is this. The slave is poor. The slave is poor. He doesn't have the right to own anything. The guy he works for owns everything. The son, though, is rich. He has access to everything through his father. Everything his father owns, he has access to because he's a son. He's a child of the father. Look at what Galatians 4, 7 says. 
It says, so you are no longer a slave but a son. And since you are a son, God has made you what? An heir. You as a child of God, you're an heir to his stuff. People get excited when they find out, oh my gosh, I got this letter from attorney today. I'm an heir to this estate. And they're crapping their pants. Like, I'm gonna get this and this in the car. And you know, you're an heir to God's stuff. A God who has everything. The God who owns the cattle on a thousand hills. You got access to that as a child of God. You're an heir to the throne of God. And the way the Bible says you approach the throne of God is you can go in with confidence. Why? You can go into the employees only section. Why? Because you're one of his kids. The Bible says that God will meet every single one of your needs according to his riches and glory. Some of you go, oh, amen. Then why are you living like a slave? Preach it, brother. Well, then why are you living like a slave? Come on, don't do the dance. Why are you locked up? The Bible says the Heavenly Father loves to give good gifts to his kids. He loves to be ridiculously generous to his sons and his daughters, yet some of you are living like a slave. It's kind of like this. Let's say that one day... uh, one of your kids comes over to play with one of my kids. Let's say he comes over to play with my oldest son, Casey. I got him for the afternoon, and I got to fix him lunch. And I realize there's four pieces of bread left. So I'm going to make a couple peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. I'm making them here. I'm working on the second one, spreading the peanut butter on, when all of a sudden it falls down on the kitchen floor. It's face down. Bad day. Okay, bad day. I pick it up, pull a couple dog hairs off of it. <laughs> Five-second rule. Still got two sandwiches, okay? I'm not gonna throw it away. I'm cheap and I can't cook. So this is, this is what's being served, okay? Now, who do you think's getting the dirty one? Not my kid, okay? He's not, okay? You just need to know that, okay? My son's gonna be 14 going, I wonder why nobody ever wants to spend the night with me. I, I don't know, honey. You're special, though. You're special, okay? You can go to their place. That's even better. No. Your kid's getting it. I'll just tell you that's the way I am, okay? Why? Why? Because I'm going to give my kid the very best because I'm his dad. And that's what God wants to give you. He wants to meet every one of your needs and give you the best. I heard a great story one time about this lady, very spiritual lady, and she really sincerely trusted God to provide for all of her needs. Every day she would pray, God, I just pray again today that you would take care of my, my financial needs, my physical needs, and I know that you will, I trust that you will. And when God would come through for her, she would always make sure in her prayers to take time to give him credit. God, thank you. I realize that I have this because you gave it to me. I acknowledge it, it came from your hands. Oh God, you're a great God, thank you, God. And she was a loud prayer, you know, really loud prayer. And uh, she got her porch and pray out loud and her atheist neighbor next door it got on his last nerve he's like i'm so sick of this religious diarrhea pouring from her mouth every day i'm gonna do something about it i'm gonna prove to her that there is no god i'm gonna prove it to her and so he had this little scheme he said here's the deal one day she's out on her porch and she's saying oh lord i don't have any food in my refrigerator my pantry's empty but i just know god you're gonna provide and he's like ha i'm gonna prove to her there is no god so he scurries off to the grocery store Scurries, what a stupid word. He scurries up to, up to the grocery store. He went to the store. What is wrong with me? I'm like Judy Bloom, you know? He scurried to the store. Are you there? It's me, God. It's Margaret. Anyway, super fudge. But, but anyway, he, he goes to the store. He just goes to the store, and he skips to the store, and uh, he gets there. He gets there, okay? And he buys some groceries, and he pays for them with his own money, and he's like, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna put them on a porch, and then I'm gonna show her they came from me, and I'm gonna show her, see, your God isn't real. He isn't faithful. So he gets the groceries and the time comes, he puts them on the porch, rings her doorbell, runs away and hides in the bushes. 
She comes out and sees the groceries and says, oh my Lord, you're so amazing, you've done it again. Oh, thank you God, you met all my needs. This guy jumps out and he says, you're a fool lady. God didn't do that, I did. See, your God isn't real. I bought those groceries, I scurried to the store. I paid for all of that, I did it, I put them there. And she said, oh God, you're better than I ever imagined. Thank you, Lord. And he said, lady, you're a fool. What's wrong with you? Don't you get it? I paid for that. And she said, oh God, thank you, Lord. You have provided for my needs and you made the devil pay the bill. <laughs> you see, when you're God's son and daughter, he's gonna meet your needs. You're his kid. Why wouldn't he? My question, though, today is, can you really see yourself as a son or daughter of God? Have you ever seen yourself as that? Or do you see yourself as just a religious robot? A little R2-D2 for the Lord. Is that all you are, just a religious robot? Are you an ant of his big ant colony down here just carrying stuff for God? Boom, 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 boom. Love you, Lord, doing your work, sweating it off for you. Or do you see yourself truly as a son and as a daughter of God? A God who says, anything I have is yours because you're one of my kids. See, the slave is driven by duty. The son is driven by devotion. The slave is dirt poor. The son is rich. And the slave has a master. He has somebody constantly watching over him. The son, though, has a father. And that changes everything. Because the child sees God as a heavenly father. Now, I'm going to be very sensitive here. I know that for some of you in this room, that is a really hard idea or concept to get your arms around. Because your picture of an earthly father sucks. Your dad might have been abusive. He might have been unfaithful. He might have been downright mean, uninterested, disconnected. But you need to know, God is a father in the purest sense of the word. He can't even be unfaithful. It's not in his DNA. It's just not. He is a father who is true, and he is love. He is ridiculously generous, and he's full of grace. And his love for you never, ever changes. Hard for us to fathom, because in relationships here on this earth, you can tick people off enough that they just say, no more. I'm cutting this off. God says, not with me. I'm your father. Nothing will ever change my love for you. Hard for us to fathom that some of us, we can go through seasons of life where we keep God at a distance, at an arm's length. We say, God, I know that's your path. I'm going mine. No thanks. You go through life where you kind of give God the proverbial finger and say, I don't want anything to do with you. Stupid. Leave me alone. It's hard to imagine that even above all of that, that God would still love you. You realize that, though, if you relate to God as a heavenly Father, and that's how he wants you to relate to him. Some of you in this room would not relate to me the same way my kids relate to me, you know? Um, and before I tell the story, I want to preface it with this. One of the things you hear Tony, me, and Earl and other guys say around here is, we are not a big deal as staff here, and we don't want to be a big deal. There is nothing impressive about us whatsoever. We're not very smart. We get it wrong a lot. And if you followed us each around in our families and it worked for a couple days, you would be sorely disappointed. You really would. And so, for some reason, though, people in churches, they tend to put pastors and staff on a pedestal, which is ridiculous, because we're just like you. We poop, we pee, we cuss, we fight at times, we get discouraged and depressed, we overeat. We're just like you, very messy people. For some reason, God has put us here to try to lead his church. That's the only difference. We're just like you. So I preface the story with that, so you know where I'm coming from. But sometimes, there's always a few people in the audience that, for some reason, being a pastor, it's a big deal. 
And every now and I'll be out in public and I run into one of those people with my kids. And uh, it'd be like, there's the pastor, there's the pastor, there's the pastor, hey, Pastor Chad, there's the pastor, there's the pastor. And I'm like, hey, I'm just here with my kids, how are you? Good to see you, breathe, you know. There's the pastor, there's the pastor, there's the pastor! You know, and I'm like, just, just getting some milk in my flops, you know, hey, hadn't shaved, didn't even bathe today, isn't that cool? <laughs> just like you, really gotta poop, you know, and... Uh, is there a bathroom over there? Anyway, what were you saying? And, you know, and, and just, just when you, there's the pastor. Oh, is this the pastor's boy? Is this your son? Oh, the pastor's boy. He is so cute. She's taking his cheeks. And Casey's like, I'm like, Daddy, this lady's weird. I'm like, yes, she is, honey. She really is. There's, uh, there's some peculiar sheep in God's flock. And uh, hoping he won't say anything else. And then she'll say, she'll look at him and say, oh, honey, what's it like living with Pastor Chad? Now, if you've been around my son Casey, he... He's going to have a talk show. He's a talker. He's very verbal, nonstop talk, very verbal, very articulate. And he says something like this. I don't know, but I, I really like living with my dad. He's really silly. Sometimes you can pull his finger and these little noises are funny that will come out. Do you want to try? You know? And instead of walking away when he says something like that, ashamed or embarrassed, I just walk away going, that's my boy. You know? That's daddy's boy. That's what I expect. He's my son. He relates to me totally differently. And I'm going to relate to him and his brother Cameron totally different because I have a love for them you could only have for a son or a daughter. Okay? I'm only going to relate to them that way, my kids that way. And that's the way that God wants to relate to you. Because God is crazy about you. He's not mad at you. He's mad about you. And he wants you to call out to him as, his, as your heavenly daddy. In fact, look what the Bible says in Galatians 4, 6. Okay? It says, because you are, here's that word again, what? Sons. God sent the spirit of his son, capital S, into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, Father. Okay, this word Abba, it's an Aramaic word that literally translated means Papa or Daddy. He's saying, I want you to cry out to me. You can cry out to me and say, God, my, my heavenly Papa, my heavenly Daddy, and you can cry out to him like that because you're one of his kids. The tragic thing is there's a lot of people, some of you in this room this morning, who at one time lived in that joy of a relationship with Jesus Christ, being a child of God. And somewhere along the way, you stepped out of that freedom and you took a swan dive back into the pool of religion, the church deal, the rules, and being religious. And what happens when that happens? I see it every time. Christians, they, they lose their joy. They get bitter. Their hearts get really hard. They get cynical. They come in here on a Sunday morning and they, they can't worship or sit under teaching because they're sitting their whole time going, I wouldn't do it that way. I don't agree with that decision. They can't celebrate anything going on. They nitpick everything. They become the spiritual police. Who around here is not living right? Who's messed up? They make themselves the standard and not God. They lose their joy. Their faces look like they've been sucking on lemons for like nine years. <laughs> Bless Jesus. Stupid visitors. Don't they know that's been my seat for nine years? <laughs> I love you, Lord. Hate this church. Missed it when it was smaller. Knew everybody. Parking's terrible. Can't get in, can't get out. Instead of just sitting back and going... God, thanks. 
thanks that you even let me be a small part of this. I never knew something like this existed. God, I never get tired of, of talking to God in the lobby who six months ago hated God and thought church was the dumbest thing ever, and now he's here serving God. I'll never get tired of that. It's so cool every week, the more I come, the more people I don't know. Thank you, God, don't stop. Do more. You can't do that, though, when you step out of the freedom of knowing Jesus Christ and you go back into bondage, the bondage of being religious and religion. We see this happen in one of the most famous stories in the Bible. It's found in Luke 15 in the New Testament chapter. I'd encourage you to read. It's the story of the prodigal son. Okay? If you've never read the Bible, let me kind of give you the Cliff Notes version real quick. In the story, Jesus says that there was a father who had two sons. Okay? The younger brother came to the dad one day and he said, Dad, I want my part of the estate and I want it right now. I need to get out of here for a while. I need to go experience life and live it up. And so that's what he did. He went out and he took his part of the estate and he, he spent it, he squandered it, he blew it, got a little wild, raised three kinds of hell, and had a blast for a while. But, but you can only do that for so long, right? And then it catches up with you. And one day he wakes up with his head spinning. He's hurting. He's miserable. He's broke. He doesn't have any real friends. And he just kind of throws his hands at me. He's like, is this all there is, God? I mean, is this, li- is this the meaning of life? If it is, this sucks. Is, is this really all there is? Then he gets more discouraged because he begins to realize that even his dad's servants have food and food to spare. And he don't have anything to eat. And the pig's food's beginning to look attractive. So he said, I don't know what to do. I guess I'll just go back and I'll just throw myself at the mercy of my father. And then, guys, he said some life-changing words. Words that if you'll embrace these words and not be embarrassed to say them, If you'll embrace these words and not be ashamed of them or think that you're spiritually above these words, these words, if you'll embrace them as spiritual truth, they will empower you to do life as a child of God for the rest of your life. He said these words, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. I'm not. No matter how hard I try, no matter how good I am, no matter how I'm good at doing the whole religious dance, it's not enough. No matter how good I am at this, I have to do this, I can't do that, I gotta do more, it's not enough. See, he realized that no matter how good you think you are, no matter how many years you've done the religious dance, it doesn't get you to God, it doesn't save you, it doesn't impress God. The only way to God, as we said last week, is through relationship, a life-changing personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And all of a sudden, the light bulb's going on for this son. He's discovering the truth. Two key things here we see. I'm gonna call him the son because he gets it, okay? First thing is this, the son knows that he is not worthy. He's not worthy. Look at verse 19. He said, Daddy, I am no longer worthy to be called what? Your son, okay? Make me like one of your hired men. In other words, he's saying, Dad, just just make me a slave like the rest of them. I'm not worthy, just make me like a slave. And his dad all of a sudden is like, oh my gosh, son, now you get it. You get it. Guys, he gets it. Let's do the biggest party we've ever had here because my son finally gets it. Why? Because my son was lost and now my son is found. Why? Because my son was dead and now my son is alive. Party time. He gets it. He gets it. He's finally figured out that he's not my son by performance. He's my son because I'm his father and I love him. And he gets it. Party time, party. While that's going on, the younger brother, the religious one who dressed the part, looked the part, and totally missed the point, 
is out in the back porch pouting. He's pouting. He'd been inoculated against his father's love just enough, and this religious older brother's going, wait a minute, not fair. You didn't throw a party for me. I mean, I've been here all along doing the work, doing what you want me to do. I'm missing out all the great stuff. I don't know if it sounded like that. It's just interpretation. But, but the second thing we learn is this. Okay, this older brother, he's the slave. And the slave falsely believes that he is worthy. Look, look what I've been doing, he said. Look at verse 29. He said, look, all these years I've been what? Slaving for you. Never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. He's saying, this isn't fair. I've been doing the religious thing, and I'm missing out on the party. You see, that's what happens when you become religious. You miss the party. You start living for the rules rather than God. You start loving the rules more than loving Jesus, and you miss out on the party. You miss out on the goodness that God, your Father, has for you as his child. And that was happening. This older brother's on the porch pouting. He's sitting over there, missing the whole thing over there, just rocking, going, what happened? I mean, I'm, I'm good enough, and I'm, I'm smart enough, and doggone it, people like me. I'm, I'm worthy. I'm worthy. I know I am. When he wasn't worthy at all. He just wasn't. And his dad in love is just shaking his head, saying, son, man, you missed it. You missed it. Don't you know I'm your dad? Everything I have belongs to you. You're my son, and you're living like a slave. And there's a lot of us here today, that's what's happened to us. You're a son, and you're a daughter, but you're living like a slave. And God wants you to come back and see yourself as a child of the living God, not living like a slave. Now, our, our goal here each weekend is, is application, okay? When you ask us, where's the depth of around here? Depth to us is application, not people with a bunch of knowledge, who can spout Bible verses. It's, can people take this teaching and then we want to be a Monday morning church, apply it as soon as you get out of here today. So I want to bring, so what is the so what of today? What is the so what of this series? And to me, the so what of it is this. The Bible is screaming in our face, don't turn back. <laughs> don't turn back to the religious hoo-ha, to living for the rules and legalism and the routine of religion. Don't go back to that. You'll see all throughout the Bible examples of people who turn back. They took a peek and they swan dive back into the, the cauldron of religion and the rules and the outcome was never pretty. The Bible encourages us, don't turn back. There's a verse in Proverbs that says a dog returns to his vomit. Kind of nasty, isn't it? Okay. Even as a fool returns to his folly. Now think about this. If a dog returns to his puke, what's a cat return to? <laughs> you know, you ever thought about that? It's pretty sick, you know? Really. But the Bible's saying, don't turn back. Paul says, press on. Don't turn back. You see this in the movies all the time. You'll see one of those movies where there's a good guy and a bad guy and a villain and the heroes and all that. And all throughout the movie, what's the bad guy doing? He's chasing down the good guy. Ah, 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 ah. He's going after him. They go back and forth. He catches up. This happens. He's over here. And somewhere towards the end of the movie, all the momentum shifts. And towards the very end, finally, the good guy has got him cornered. And you're sitting there going, come on, yeah. And he clobbers him over the head, knocks the guy out. And in your seat, you're going, finish it! I love you, Lord. Kill him! You know, do it! And for some stupid reason, this idiot, instead of finishing off the job, goes over and plops down next to the guy he thinks is dead. <sighs> Catches his breath. And you can see it coming. You're like, dude, run. Get out of there. Get out of there. 
My wife talks to the screen, go! I'm like, he can't hear you, you know? And all of a sudden, what's, what's the guy who he supposes is dead? What happens? He grabs his leg, ah! And you're like, no! Don't turn back. Run from that stuff. Run from these weak and non-life-giving principles of religion that can just suck the life out of you and others and most of all God's church. It's not about religion. It's about a relationship. Religion doesn't save people. Religion doesn't change a heart. It doesn't transform a life. Jesus does. It's Jesus plus nothing. Nothing else. Look what Galatians 4, 8 and 9 says. It says, formerly, where you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not God's. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable principles? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? Guys, hear me say, our goal in this series isn't to throw rocks at people who are religious or to make fun of those people. Our goal is to make sure that that gets stomped out in us and in this church. That's the goal of this series. That will be a people in a church that don't live for the rules, we live for Jesus. And my prayer is that today, as you're going out these doors, God is gonna be looking down at many of you going, see that guy there, he's my son. It's party time because out of this series, see him over there, he's my son. He once was lost and now he's found again. He gets it. Party time. See that girl over there? She's my daughter. She always has been, but for a while she's been spiritually dead, and today she has come alive. Party time. Party time. Guys, God sent his son Jesus to set you free. He sent Jesus to set you free, not to make you religious. God sent Jesus to set you free, not to make you religious. And I believe with every fiber of my being, that God is crying out to you and to me in this church at the top of his lungs today. Don't turn back. Don't turn back. Run from that stuff. Religion bites. <laughs> Don't turn back. Don't turn back. This program is a production of the Generally Speaking Podcast Network. You'll find this and other podcasts on our website at gspn.tv. Thanks for listening. This show is brought to you by Talk Show. Create your own internet talk show. Check it out at talkshoe.com.